So um, I'm recording, but I still haven't worked out how to record webcams because GoToMeeting doesn't do it for us. So it's just audio only. Um, so okay. people joining in live get the bonus of getting to look at you guys. Awesome. Which is pretty cool. That is a good bonus. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're both much more photogenic than I expected. <laughs> I've got lots of filters on the camera. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. I think we can get started. So this is the first time we're doing this in the morning. Um, we usually try and do, uh, schedule them after work uh, to try and catch everyone possible. So I know there's several people who are tuning in while at work, which is cool. We'll keep them from doing their normal job. <laughs> okay, so um, we'll get started. Um, so welcome everyone to um, the third Immersion Inspire. Um, I have Dave Lloyd and Barney Cummings here. They are the duo behind Crawl, um, and they're based in Australia. So thanks for joining us. Hey guys. Hey. Hey. Nice to see you. Um, so we have the chat. Uh, I guess you guys can see that. Um, so anyone who's uh, listening in, if you have questions, pop them into chat. And I will get around to them in due time. So I'll I'll, I'll fire the questions for Dave and Barney. Um, and I have a whole page of questions here. So to get us started. Um, so I I've been following you guys for quite a while actually, um, and bumped into Dave at GDC two years ago. Mm. Um, spotted his badge with Powerhoof on it and just went over and uh, introduced myself. Like neither of us was exhibiting. He was just wandering around. Yeah. <laughs> and at the time, basically. Uh, you had just gone through green light uh, with crawl in in 24 hours, and it amazed me because at the right then I was trying to I was just yeah, a couple months later put my own game through green light. Um, yeah, I think so, you just released a trailer. A few months yeah, earlier yeah. Or so uh, it was really like an exciting time for me to see uh, someone like you just um, kind of blow through um, marketing <laughs> like that and just blow yeah. up. It was really really cool. Um, so I personally have been following you guys for ages. Um, so I have loads of questions. Um, but kind of let's maybe just go back a little bit before that, and uh, I want to ask you where you know how did you two end up making games? Kind of what's your the short version of your kind of game dev history? Um, I started with this adventure game studio program, um, which lets you really easily just stick some stick a background and character in a room and make an adventure game. Um, and because I, I played all those when I was a kid and stuff and loved them, uh, and that was just a really super easy tool to use, and, and suddenly I could kind of make these kind of games. And I was kind of in second year uni, and I wasn't really enjoying my course, and so I switched to computer science and started just doing more personal side projects. And then thought I'd probably get a job doing you know, web design -y kind of or web development stuff, but then just kind of took a punt at getting, like going for a couple of jobs in the games industry in Melbourne uh, and got the first one I went for, which was pretty awesome, <laughs> because partly because the company was just hiring anyone who would agree to pay work for like no money. Um, and Barney was there as well, so that's where we met. And that was like nine years ago now, probably, or something like that. Yeah, which um, company was that? Yeah, uh, Red Tribe in Melbourne. <laughs> and what, yeah. what kind of games yeah, were they making? <laughs> um, we were doing like... Uh, uh, what was it? We've been Wii and PS2 and Xbox 360 at the time, um, but there were like licensed titles from the US. Basically, um, the way it worked, there's a lot of companies in Melbourne that would just bid for uh, bid to get like the rights to do like a, a 
movie tie-in game that someone wanted to do, and so you'd basically just say, okay, we can do it for less money than anyone else, and let, we'll do it in less time, yeah. and then, um, you know, whoever the, like, if it's Warner Brothers or whatever, they'll, they'll be like, oh, yeah, we'll get, we'll get you to do it because we don't want to pay any money. <laughs> we want it to be really cheap, and so um, you're basically just making really terrible games <laughs> um, and, and on a really short timeline, and we're yeah. all just juniors. We had no idea what we were doing, so they were all really bad, <laughs> but... Um, but it helped but you make, got... professionally make games and get some experience. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, we learned so much because you're kind of getting thrown in the deep end. And we, we, I was working with some like pretty smart engineers as well who were, um, and I learned a lot from them and also just sort of had to learn a bit about the kind of how to, you know, but the, the things that companies do wrong, I guess, you learn a lot about that. <laughs> uh, whereas when you're working at a really nice company, everything just seems to work and you don't really know why. And it just seems that easy. Forced me and Dave, that forced me and Dave to take charge a lot more than we would have mm -hmm. because we could see so many things being done so obviously wrongly that we were able to just stand up and say, look, let's do this, let's do that. And so we wound up in much, much higher sort of ranking positions than, than we should rightly have been in just because... You know, we were willing to try and try and make things work a bit better. Uh, so, like the company was a bit of a mess, but yeah, it was a really good experience for us. That's really cool. Um, yeah, Barney, what was your background before working for them? Uh, I I made a lot of board games when I was young. Nice. Um, yeah, I was into just making stuff in general. I was like really into Mario Kart. I made a, a board game like interpretation of Super Mario Kart with Whoa. like a physically built little uh, version of Ghost Valley 1 for anyone who was super into that. Um, and I sort of had like made a version of the rules where, uh, you know, it was trying to sort of keep the the different qualities of the characters and, and of the items and stuff and sort of have them be equivalent to in the game, but just all dice rolling and stuff like that. And I was really into that. I was into D&D, but not proper D&D. I was, like, way too young to understand all, like, really complicated D&D. So I sort of just, like, made this bastardized rule set of D&D that was simpler, that was much more sort of, I don't know, much more fun for, for me and my cousins and stuff. And... Uh, then I think the first video game I made was with HyperCard on the Mac. Oh wow! Which was like a thing for making. I, I remember using presentations. it. Presentations. Yeah, but you could you could link you could. It was like really basic PowerPoint, but with hyperlinks, so you could make a exactly yeah. Oh, yeah, it was like it was like PowerPoint, but you could make a button and you could script the button to go to different pages, and you could say go to this page wait 0.1 seconds, then go to that page, wait 0.1 seconds, and so you could use that to essentially animate, and so I'd sort of, it was like a presentation with all these buttons, but when you clicked on a button, it'd be, so I'd basically made these choose-your-own-adventure games that would kind of scroll through pixel animations when you clicked on a button, and so <laughs> the game mechanics were just randomly press the buttons until it tells you that you died, and then start again, and just randomly click them in a different order, but, you know, I still felt like I was making more of an experience than, than you know, just a, a, a flat animation. Um, and, yeah, that, that I, but I was very animation-focused, and so I worked in animation, and then I just wound up through looking for animation jobs in Melbourne, which is where all my family are from. Um, 
I, I just all the Melbourne animation jobs are in games, so I went, oh, well, I guess I'll go for a job in games. I'd never really considered that I could get a job in games. Um, I don't know. For some reason, it was not on my radar. It just seemed like I'd never considered that people actually made them, even though I was really into Making games. I just thought, oh, yeah, you just have to... You just have to animate for film or TV or something like that. So, yeah, I got I got that job at, at Red Tribe, at the place where I met Dave, and instantly there was a lot of things wrong with the way they were doing things. And so, just through trying to force them to use my implement my animations in the right way, I ended up inadvertently becoming a designer. Cool. Um, and how long did you guys work there together? I think it was like four years or something. Not yeah. ages. Well, I mean, I guess it's pretty long in terms of working in a game studio. <laughs> but um, yeah, then we that company folded. We had, we got to work on we got to start working on an IP where Barney was like creative director, and that was going to be awesome. It was going to be like a um, and it brought down the company. Uh, beat him up on the way. But yeah, we basically spent all the company's money, and then <laughs> the company shut down. So that's pretty good. The company spent its own money making terrible cheerleading games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and then we both kind of, uh, I I went and got a job at Firemint in Melbourne that made, were making iPhone games. They made flight control. They and made flight control racing. Right? Yeah, yeah. Did you work um, on that? So I worked on. Uh, I worked on it after it had already been released. So. Kind of. <laughs> I don't get the credit there. Okay, very cool. I, I don't. I'd say everyone here has heard of it, uh, or probably played it. Yeah. So they they did really well. Like they were they were really that was and they were a really um, smart company. They knew what they were doing. And compared to like um, Red Tribe, they really yeah they had their like shit together. And so it was really it was really nice working for them after working at um, such a sort of not non managed company that didn't really yeah that just didn't really know what they were doing, um, but yeah. So I worked there, and then that got bought out by EA. And Barney, meanwhile, had got a job at uh, another company, um, Iron Monkey, which had also got bought out by EA. And then our studios got merged back together, and so <laughs> by EA, so, yeah, basically EA power hoof by um, yeah. by buying <laughs> companies and putting us back in the same building again, and then making us work on really boring games. <laughs> So uh, when did you guys decide to go by yourself then? Um, would have been early. When was it? What is it now? <laughs> uh, 2013, I guess. Um, yeah, like start of year. I think like over that Christmas break, we were both kind of talking about quitting and when we we're going to do it, and sort of realizing. I just said oh, in a really conversational way. I said, like, conversationally to Dave, oh, I'm thinking of quitting, like, don't you think we could do more fun things and stuff? In a completely, I'm never really going to do it way. And then Dave just went, yeah, that's a good idea. And then he just quit. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. I've got to do it now. And so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, it was weird. It was like, because you're working for a decent salary and it's, like, and lots of, like, awesome people and the studio was really good. Um, I'm guessing they had a mean contract where you're not allowed to work on anything else. Yeah, that that was a big thing yeah. for me. Was that would be EA style? I'm guessing. What I would like my it'd be, it's my hobby, like making little games or whatever, and I'm not like technically not allowed to do mm. my hobby, which is like, which is kind of wearing me down a lot. Um, yeah, I always think yeah. that's a negative approach for the big companies. It's such you know, a yeah, bad yeah, approach. To to quash hey. people's creativity. 
I don't Dave know. Dave and the other guy that. we worked with there, that they had even made a made a small little side project game in the company, and and it was just and it was basically complete. <laughs> but but it, <laughs> uh, we can talk about it vaguely. Oh, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they, they, they they made a little project, and you know the company didn't see it as being worth sort of following through and commercializing, which is, you know, f yeah. fair enough because for the company, that's a lot of wheels they've got to put in motion. But I think that that seeing that happen was just really demoralizing to be like, even at this company, if you do convince them to let you make like a small little cool thing, it's not even worth their time to release it. Uh, um, that was just, yeah. you know, yeah. It was a I, cool game. I would feel how you, I think, felt as well. Just really mm. negative about that approach. Okay, so you, you both quit. So you went into it full time from the start. Mm -hmm. That's power. Yeah, yeah. And it's just yeah, we kind of had we've had we'd had savings and we were okay. kind of living pretty cheaply. So yeah, we and was... neither of us were married or neither of us had kids or anything yet. <laughs> and that was potentially come coming and now it's come for me. So it was like, oh well if I'm gonna quit and be a starving yeah. artist and we should do it now. <laughs> yeah. Was um, um was Screen Australia still giving out money for games then? Yeah, uh, there's Film Australia, Australia, I can't remember what they're called. And there's uh, Film Victoria and Screen Australia. Those kind of two separate things. Um, we got a grant from Film Victoria, which was uh, it was a loan, but then uh, and we got we got this loan that was pretty awesome. Uh, and then it's a sort of loan where you yeah, you pay it back if you make the money back, kind of, and you pay it back yeah, on a small percentage good. of your profit. So it's a pretty good deal. Uh, and then, but then they, there was a change of government and change of policy, and then they just, just said that we don't have to pay it back. So that was pretty awesome as well. <laughs> so they um, stopped giving out money, but they also didn't yeah. care about getting it back. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Um, but the, the Screen Australia thing completely stopped with the change of government. That was really I frustrating for a lot of yeah. Because I, I, yeah. I was looking at that and saying, wow, look at this. They're like funding actual creative projects. This is so cool. And then someone, a uh, Australian person, told me, "Oh yeah, they did, but they stopped doing it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the film Victoria, I think, is still doing some stuff, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, they've started right. some stuff up again uh, now. That looks all right. Some people that I know have got got some money. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, they, ben Porter and stuff. Just, got just some that's something awesome. that hasn't happened yet in Ireland is that style of uh, direct funding for for games from Ireland itself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're like, there's always a lot of people trying to trying to get tax breaks and trying to get funding and stuff like that, and because it does make a big difference, but it, it's stuff that kind of seems to come and go as governments like decide how they want to be looked at, you know, budget-wise or whatever. <laughs> so it's always yeah. something which is kind of if you've got it, it might go away pretty soon. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a funny one because that didn't seem to run that long either. It was. It wasn't like it had been running. Yeah, I mean the, the Screen Australia one, the Screen Australia one came up and was there for I don't know, months and then gone again. Um, yeah, really, it was very quick. And they had they sort of budgeted like twelve million dollars or something over a period of years, and then like none of that was spent, and it all just got taken away, kind of thing. So it's really frustrating. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll bear that in mind here. We sort of. If the government starts handing out money, we'll all just grab it and spend it on the Yeah, first. exactly, yeah. yeah <laughs> <definitely>. <laughs> um, we kind of, when we quit, we sort of thought, oh, we'll, we'll spend a year and we'll work out what we'd be happy to um, to kind of sort of 
but yeah, we'll, we'll work out like how much money we're happy to spend, and like, oh yeah, we can live pretty fr frugally for a year and not really die, like cut into our savings too much or whatever. Um, and we'll try and just like make a bunch of stuff in the first year and see if we can like sell it or in the and then if we if we think by the end of the first year we've got something we might be able to sell and make some money, then we'll keep going. Otherwise, I don't know, we can start looking for contract work or um, nice, yeah. that kind of thing. So, so you're kind of thinking about, about it. That, basically. Like, yeah, there, there was no real downside. It's it's not like where we have to buy a cafe and then spend all this money doing it up and then if no one comes and buys coffees or something, then we've lost all this money. It's just like that doesn't really cost us anything except and yet really that we friendly. put our jobs and we'd, we'd have to go back and let go oh, we our jobs back or something <laughs> if we failed. So, um, so, so you didn't yeah, quit your jobs kind of in like spectacular bridge burning fashion then? Uh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, I think, sorry, we, we treated it a lot more like let's take a holiday like in which we try and make some games and just if it looks like it might turn into a business, then let's do that. But we weren't really relying on, you know, relying on the money from the business. We're like, oh, maybe we'll spend a year and we'll make a cool thing we're proud of, and then we just have to get jobs again, and that we'd still be happy with that. So that's kind of what I expected to happen. That um, seems yeah. very sensible. Yeah. Mm. It, it was just the two of you, right? Yeah. yeah. And what was the kind of breakdown? You both, Barney, you're more in art and animation, and Dave more in programming, or is that, are you both kind of dipping into to everything? You're both doing game design as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, both kind of share. Everything else, we sort of, I think both of us would have quit individually and tried to just make a game on their own. Like Spiny had been doing stuff in multimedia fusion and stuff, and I'd been, I, I do that art. So, <laughs> um, uh, and that's partly why I think it was partly why I want to work with Barney because I sort of thought uh, we can both, uh, you know, do do parts of what the other one wants to do, and kind of, I think it would be, a, yeah, it made sense as a partnership. Uh, it was very kind of equal. Um, I think that's yeah. definitely one of, one of the hardest things is to like find the right person. Be really confident that the other person is going to take it as seriously. Yeah. Um, because it's the kind of thing that I mean, I, I would just daydream talk with every one of my game developer friends about let's make games together, and they would all be excited, and they would all say yes, and they would all mean it. But it's hard to know, you know, that that like someone's going to sort of you know, just actually follow through on every yeah. little every little detail, and I was really confident that Dave would, and I, I think he felt the same way. And so, we, I think we were lucky. Like it's hard to find someone that you know like that. I guess it helped that you guys have worked so so much together. You yeah, already definitely. you know had that yeah. relationship. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, what were your first ideas? Like, what, how did you start making a game? Was it crawl? Yeah, we did game jam sort of stuff. Well, we've been doing it at EA, um, just doing like while we were still working there. I mean, we we were kind of had this idea to do. Well, Barney had the idea to do, like we'll just make a bunch of local multiplayer games because they'd be kind of fun things to play. And in the games game jam kind of fashion, but really more about getting together to play the games. So we didn't worry about a, like having a time limit. It was more just well, we're gonna we've, we've picked this Saturday in a few weeks. So you obviously have to get the game done by then, or at least done to the point where when you bring it on the day, we can like add sounds or add music or add art and like so there were, play it a bit and then decide how to change it. Um, were were so there like crawl. game dev events you were bringing it to? No, no, no this was just, it was just, just yourselves. Bunch of friends 
Um, okay, nice. Yeah, us and some people we work with, worked with at EA and worked with it um, at Red Tribe and yeah, just yeah, and so really just people who are kind of close friends. Yeah. Um, when we're kind of antisocial and not very good at organizing bigger <laughs> events than that, um, although we we kind of always talk about oh we should do that again except make it big and but then we just like don't do it. Um, yeah, and so that was where we had yeah a few games both both. Um, Crawl and then that regular human basketball thing um, came out of the, that kind of game jam. So uh, kind of like a we really just wanted to make something that we thought would be the only like I guess theme was just like make something that you think would be fun to play with our friends or whatever, um, which I think was a pretty good thing to do because it, you can sort of just make a jokey game. Yeah. Um, or you can just think, oh, I've got this interesting idea that I think my friends would think was interesting as well or something. Um, I'm yeah, I'm a so I'm an absolutely huge fan of of kind of sharing early of getting people to play your game like when it's really rough, um, mm. and I think game jams are amazing for that because at the end of you know one day you're getting people to play something so you're really focused, you get that I, feedback. I yeah. think a big part of the 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 sort of event that we were organising was that we had absolutely no intention to try and make anything of any of the games. Um, you know, it was purely making something that will make your friends laugh a little bit on that one day, and then they can be throwaway. And so, um, you know, although like that also encouraged us to make a whole lot of things that were just dumb little in-jokes, um, which were a lot of fun, it also meant that really weird ideas, like the initial idea of Crawl was pretty weird, and I think if it was in an environment where I was worried about it having to turn into something good. I probably never would have gone down that path and invested the effort into making the prototype. But because I just knew, oh, it just has to make my friends laugh like this one day. Uh, you know, then it's, it's fine to to try something really kind of dumb or or just strange or just you know unpredictable like that. And so you can kind of discover uh, kind of a new space for your game to exist in. Yeah, you know, I mean, because you're willing just, to just fire it out there and do something silly, you're not, you're not thinking about oh how, how maybe marketable is this or how big is the market for yeah. this game or, especially like back then where local multiplayer wasn't a thing, especially on PC. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so local not. multiplayer has always been good for game jams. You know, it's the best yeah. thing to do at a game jam if you want to you have fun and have people play your game. Yeah, and it's quick as well. Yeah, yeah. but it, like, were you playing other local multiplayer games? On consoles, Not really? Like, well, uh, oh yeah, no, we had we had, we were getting together and playing stuff um, periodically, but there there wasn't much. There just wasn't anything out at the time. Yeah, um, like, we played I, a lot I, of I, Castle Crashes, and we were, but we'd go we'd yeah, go around and play NES games or, or like N64 games like Mario Tennis or something. Yeah, okay. Um, games and, but mostly that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't think there was actually much that we played that was. More modern. There was definitely some, and a few little indie games. Like I just, I just very much. I just had lots of memories of uh, Bomberman and stuff that I played when I was young. Oh yeah. And I just, I remembered. I guess I was just very aware of. There wasn't actually that much like content in Bomberman in terms of things that would take a long time to make, but the amount of game that there was once you had four people playing it against each other was really big. And so in my head, that I guess that was kind of 
Bomberman was the roadmap, like this single screen, just a few items, and and the people kind of create this their own fun against each other. And then of course, you know, Crawl ended up being way bigger than that and full of all this content. But but that was the initial that was the goal. Idea. But like, so yeah, was exactly, that, just really simple little things. Was that first prototype you made? What I mean, what could you do in it? Uh, I mean, you could do like basically one, one screen the, and one person was a hero. No, the, the first the first prototype was actually dungeon crawling, and you would just go through a doorway, and it would just randomly put a different room in front of you, and randomly put some doors on the walls. Um, but the initial prototype, there was no ghosts or anything. That just the other three players would just randomly just appear as monsters, and you'd have to sort of wiggle you can your joystick a lot to figure out which one is you, because everyone would also be wiggling their joysticks, so like, you know, walk left and right to see, am I the blue guy, which guy am I, and then you're already dead by the time that had happened, but it was basically... Um, and know, it was already just fun, I'm guessing? Like, people were yeah, already yeah. yelling at each other? Yeah, exactly. Okay. We sort of, I got over there, and I'd made the framework where, like, a monster could have a sprite and then he could spawn damage effects, and they could look like anything, and he could have a speed rating and a damage rating and a, and a rate of fire and things like that, but I hadn't actually filled that with content, and so when then when we got around to Dave's place to test it out, I just got all of my friends, like, everybody just draw a monster, and we'll just, like, you know, we'll just make them all different. Dave drew some, like, skeletons, and uh, a friend drew a little rabbit guy, and another friend drew this guy with a tongue, and it was just all these stupid little uh, monsters, and we just kind of chucked them in, and there was no balance. Uh, I actually, actually, that's something that I regret a little bit with Crawl, is that now it's sort of competitive, and everything has to be balanced, but something that I really liked from that original prototype was that you had really terrible monsters and really good monsters, and they didn't need to be balanced, and that was a really exciting thing. And so you'd spawn so when you, as just when you got a big monster, you were like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and also when you got a terrible monster and you managed to get a kill with it, it was just really exciting. But, That's but, true. You know, I, our, our players would just complain too much, and, and it, <laughs> it would it would derail things and be really annoying. And no one would choose. Well, no, as soon as we let really you choose, monsters. yeah, choose the sort of upgrade trees, you can't. Yeah. You sort of it just means that monster never gets chosen. Yeah. Which is kind of, that was fun. <laughs> That's a cool idea, though, and yeah, I really agree. Sometimes when you're just like, uh, you know, I see this in like strategy games, which I enjoy. But if you make a strategy game that's PvP, then you lose that imbalance feel because it has to be perfectly matched, yeah. and then it gets boring yeah. to me. Well, if you're playing a strategy mm. game like Civ against the computer, you're just like, oh, it's all about the imbalance and coming up with a combo yeah. that crushes things, and then you feel great. I mean, we we mm. come against. That, that issue, and we, I guess the comparison is Binding of Isaac, where you can have a run where you're having a really hard time and, and then you just die, or you can have a run where you get just completely over, you know, overpowered, and it feels amazing. Yes. But because we're multiplayer, we can't really let someone get so that, it, which is really frustrating because we have all the elements to give it to someone, and it, it feels really good when it does happen. And so we try and give it a bit, but not let it get completely out of hand. But, you know, you don't, you, you can't get that just really exciting, like, oh, I happen to roll double sixes kind of feeling, you know, uh, when it also has to try and be a balanced multiplayer game. Yeah, I'm... I actually have a whole load of questions about balance um, that I want to get back to. I'm just going to We have no answers about balance. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you. Um, stay so, in early access forever. <laughs> keep changing it every time. 
Um, I've a question here from Barry Keegan. Uh, he's asking Barney, just wondering if going with the pixel art style was purely for visual appeal or there are advantages you found using that medium? Uh, so, I mean, it's definitely both. I mean, I think for me, uh, like I, my, you know, all my experience in, in the games industry has been in 3D animation. Um, and so I, I, I felt more confident <laughs> about doing that. But um, the firstly, it was nostalgic. Like the, the first animations I did when I was, you know, when I was 13 using HyperCard and, and stuff, they, they were pixel. Uh, and so it felt like more of a fun, personal, nostalgic sort of thing to go back to pixel art. Um, but then there's, there's like a fidelity overhead. Like as soon as you raise the fidelity of the model, um, there's... Starts getting close to like Uncanny Valley silliness? Well, well it, it just starts to look wrong when there's less animation. So if I'm just walking around and I'm a really realistic model, it, it looks wrong for me to just instantly flip to face the way that I'm moving. Uh, I need to strafe and I need to backpedal and I need yes. to do all these other things just for the movement to match the fidelity of the model. And, but all those animations, the, the, the left strafe, the right strafe, the, the forwards, the backpedal, the fast run, the slow run, all those things that you do when you're doing a higher fidelity and all the uh, 3D character, none of those have mechanical purpose. You know, like you only need one animation of movement and so if you're an indie developer with limited resources, that's all wasted time. You're not getting any more gameplay from those. It, all you're doing is trying to match the fidelity. And so I knew I wanted to do 30, 40, 50 monsters, and then there's only one of me. So, you know, I couldn't do something where I had that much wasted overhead. Um, and but, yes, what you've made has, a, like, a large amount of animations, but it would have just been insanely more. Exactly, and so, but but so it meant that um, I could focus the animations where I wanted them instead of them just being like a sort of base requirement level that that would that was out of hand. So it meant that you know I can make I can make a new monster in a day. You know, just like draw a sprite, do a run animation, design some attacks, uh, do a death frame, um, and that that's about it. And so it means that. I think when I talk about it like that, it sounds like I'm saying, oh, well, this is cheap to make, so, um, you know, so, so that, so, so we, we made something cheaper, but it's more that it's quick to make uh, so that we weren't bogged down by all of this, this overhead. Every time we had an idea, every time we wanted to prototype or, or try something new, you know, when that process is slow and requires a lot of things just to see the character move and make it, see if it works at all. Kind of you're stops you very weird stuff. Yeah, exactly. You just become very risk averse. You yes. don't want to try a strange thing because it takes you a day and a half just to do the walk animations. So like uh, a and, slime monster or something, particularly something like if you have a humanoid monster and it's all rigged up in 3D, then making more humanoid monsters exactly. is probably what you keep doing. Okay, yeah, really and, cool. So much, so many of the, the sort of monster functionalities that are in there that have worked have been a big gamble. Like as I was making them, I'm like, oh, this is a bit of a bastardization of, of the systems that we've got, but maybe this would be interesting to do this or that. And I feel like if there was a really high sort of overhead, 
just to see if it works in the first place. I just wouldn't have tested it. And it's the same with the animation of, I mean, it's the animation across the board, I think, like, because I can draw a character frame very quickly, it means if I'm halfway through drawing something and I think, oh, actually, I can just do this completely different animation that'll look better, I'm fine. I can just throw that away and just try it. Um, you know, I'm not scared to have wasted, you know, that, that bit of time. Uh, and so, yeah. I think that's a and, really good piece of advice there, which is, yeah, let, you know, rapid prototyping unlocks other things, like what you just said. You can take risks with, you know, small bits of design you're doing, like monster designs. Yeah, so I don't think of it as, like, doing, you know, worse art in order to allow rapid prototyping. Uh, it's just about being really intelligent about what art you choose so that you it gets across everything you want to show stylistically but doesn't bog you down and so that's it's like a that's a sort of balancing act of finding something that you're still happy with how it looks um, but it's not wasting heaps and heaps of your time and you, you can do that in 3d as well like the, the project we were doing at, at red tribe before it went down was a kind of 3d thing and you know like, like it's not specifically pixel art that gives you this thing it's like project to project You've just got to kind of feel your way of, you know, depending your, on how many characters and, and what they're going to be doing. Your visual style kind of define some of that, like the visual style you choose and the fidelity. Yeah, like, cool. you know, because there are a lot of drawbacks with with with, uh, with with 2D art just in terms of, uh, you know, not having a skeletal structure under your character that you can attach things to or you can change their, their outfit and but keep the same animations and things like that. So, sure. yeah, project to project, it's going to be different. But uh, I'm happy I'm happy we landed on pixel art for Crawl. I'm surprised uh, surprised the art has gone as well as it has. It looks amazing. I, one of the best-looking uh, pixel art games, I think. And I think it's down to the animations, which I've read one of your blog posts, I think, where you kind of... Uh, show the process for one of your monsters. I find that very interesting. Yeah. Um, so you kind of, you draw, like, do you draw the first, like, just draw the picture and then you kind of block it out, do some animations, and then essentially draw each frame by hand? Yeah, yeah, it is all drawn by hand, but that's... What, um, what kind of tools are you using there? Uh, just Photoshop, but I use a, a Wacom uh, tablet so I can just draw straight on the screen. Um, but there are a lot of great really great, especially pixel art animators who just draw it with the mouse. It's just, you know, whatever you're used to, whatever you can do sort of quickly. Um, but yeah, that, that's the other thing that I'm not, an, like, I'm much more of an animator than an artist. And so if I had gone really high fidelity, um, that would have put a lot more light on the art, um, but then a lot more overhead on the animation. And I know that the art is not my strength. The, the, the way the stuff moves is my strength. And so if I go really low fidelity, I can put all my time into the way it moves and not spend hours like fussing over the shading on an arm or trying to draw a foreshortened hand with the fingers just right and things like that. And I think that's worked out. Um, and engine-wise, you guys are using Unity? Yeah. Because yeah. I think you're doing stuff with the art as well. You're doing a lot of nice lighting and stuff on top of that. No, no, pretty basic. We're not really doing much in terms of shaders. We've just got a kind of um, flicker effects that's over thing. Yeah, yeah, we're keeping it pretty like shader light. Um, hmm. But I mean, there's more than just what Barney is producing. You're also doing some stuff programmatically. Um, I mean, I just no, not really. 
No, most of it's just drawn. In fact, I'm often embarrassed that we're not using like any 3D lights or anything in there. So that's pretty all much everything done by hand, basically. Okay, very yeah. good. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so here's a related question from Andrew Hines. How do you find using Unity for 2D? Any major tips or tricks for this effect? <laughs> well, we, we started before they had any 2D stuff in, so it's all like 3D collision, which was really horrible <laughs> to get it to work. Um, so now like the 2D collision is heaps better. We were, we're using uh, an extension X, uh, X2D, which yeah, it's not really supported anymore, and now with the Unity 5, it's definitely not supported. Um, but that was that had some nice animation tools, um, but probably for future projects, we'd maybe look at Toolkit 2D or um, or just the vanilla uh, X2D stuff and build some uh, sorry vanilla Unity stuff and build some tools on top of that. But the the 2D animation tools they have are pretty limited, I think, for for the sort of thing we do where we've just got thousands of sprites and, you know, yeah, hundreds of animations or probably thousands of animations, <laughs> but yeah. Um, eh, it's just the workflow is pretty clunky. Uh, so I think if you if you want to make a big game, it's the sort of thing where I, I think you're going to want some tools built on top of it to, to, to be able to do, if you're doing lots of frames of animation and things. Um, but... In, in yeah, Unity's been great. Like in the past, I've always worked with C++ in-house engines, and I really love C++. Like really like that language, but uh, you're just writing boilerplate stuff all the time, um, and you're not writing it better than anyone else. It's just the same kind of the same result to the player. And I kind of got bored of doing kind of engine system code. Um, and wanted to just have that stuff done and just be working on the gameplay and working on game. Um, so that was why we kind of decided to do Unity. And yeah, it, it's been really good. Um, makes, yeah, it's really nice having, being able to get things up really quickly and have features there, which we sort of just realized all of a sudden, you know, like, oh, we can just chuck this thing in really quickly because there's already a system for it um, and have it work really nicely. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And the, the other thing with Unity that, that's really good is the how easy it is to build tools. So the way me and Barney work, um, I tend to just expose in Unity's inspector um, enough stuff for Barney to be able to manipulate whatever the component is, say it's like a monster component, um, to be able to, so he can create attacks and create effects. Oh, and really cool. uh, yeah, basically build a monster without any code having to change. And the monster might do something that I didn't even know it was possible to do just because it's of the flexibility that's built in, and it's just so easy to to make to make it so Barney doesn't have to touch any code and still um, and have a kind of a tool to be able to use um, that makes sense for him because that was never something that really ever happened in the in-house engines that we had. Like we would have someone working on tools, but they just have so much to do, yeah. or that you know they'd just be too busy working on an exporter for getting the uh, 3D animations into the game or something like that, um, and that would just end up being some really horrible, clunky thing that the, the artists had to go through, just because there was never, there was never that much, there was never people put on that task because it's always, it's not directly adding to the game in a visible way, so it's really hard. People tend to not, not sort of, put resources onto it, uh, and so having Unity being that resource is really good. <laughs> yeah, very nice, and kind of linked to that. How how are you guys um, kind of collaborating? Are 
is Barney always working in your baby room, or do you have like an office? No, no, we've we were um, kind of going over. Like I was going to Barney's one week, and he'd come to mine the next, just for one day a week, and then we just Skype every morning. Okay. Um, now I just tend to go to his because there's too much baby screaming <laughs> at my house. Um, yeah. But we usually just work from home and have a Skype chat in the morning from from our separate homes. And then how are yeah. you how are you maintaining your Unity project between you using? Uh, SVN. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. That's worked out okay. Because there's only two, because there's only two yeah. of us, that's not a problem. I've, yeah, it becomes problematic when you've got a lot of people, and especially if you've got two people editing art or something, or two people editing a scene, it gets a bit fiddly to manage that. But with yeah, just the two of us, I'm just if I have to do something that I know Barney needs to work on, I'll just say, hey, don't touch this thing for a little bit. And okay, yeah. Been a problem. So I've I have heard some nightmares around Unity where you have to be careful with Unity not to both be touching the same scene. It's actually a lot. It's a lot better now that there's like text assets and stuff. You can kind of, you can have a problem and you can merge the, yeah, merge the issues out. But, um, yeah, it's still like, I'm, it, on any project, source control stuff's always a, a bit of a problem at some stage where some two people edit the same thing and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Um, so I just want to kind of go on to crawl and how you guys started releasing it. So the first I heard of it. God, I can't remember, but I, I, it was already on my radar before you guys released the trailer somehow. I can't remember where you were sharing it. So here's my question. When did you start sharing outside your group of friends that you were working on the game? And I know you did Greenlight. Um, it was I around. Think we'd... It was certainly before March 2013. It was probably February 2013 you did that. We, oh, no, 2014, I think we sorry. went to Australia. Yeah. Um, and we were just, you know, we weren't showing anything or anything like that, but we had quit and we were like, oh, well, we might, you know, meet some people there. So we just made sure we had a trailer. This was like a really early, much more terrible trailer than the one people Before know. the voiceover? Yeah, 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 before that. Um, we put just, it out. With, it didn't have any sound or music. With no sound. Yeah. It was just a plane, like, so we added some music. If we met people, we could say, we're making this thing, and you had some here's a link to, yeah. to a video of it on the internet. Uh, and so we did that, and then I started sharing it on TigSource. Okay, um, that, that's probably where I started seeing you guys. Yep. Yeah, it would have been. Um, and it's, I think, lucky for us, it's a it's a good project to share because there's heaps of animations in it, and you Very know, visual, animated yeah. GIFs are, are like Actually, the, and you guys the have most shareable... Yeah, and you guys have really nailed animated GIFs. Who who <laughs> produces them? Uh, yeah, that's all. That's, that's all you. My life. Yeah. Do you just do you just record gameplay and convert it, or are you like handcrafting those? Because they're always uh, ridiculously good. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, so there's some there's some recorded gameplay, which is um, which is pretty usually pretty easy to do. That the hardest thing is because it's a multiplayer game and, and if I'm trying to record something that, that's got multiple players having action, and so I'm, I, I just we've got bots, and so trying to get the bots to do what I want, and they'll like, you know, they don't cooperate most of the time, and so it's got to do a lot of takes and like, no, don't run over there, do this, attack me like this, oh, stupid bot, and do a whole lot of takes of that. But um, and then usually we do a bit of unique content as well, where I'll just animate, like I I like like, like animating little pixelated. 
and or the IRS yeah, yeah. guy, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that was. I mean, that was something that I just wanted to do as like a joke to to make to make myself laugh really. Um, but yeah, well, I like to put in a little bit of like little pixelated versions of me and Dave doing stuff to make it a bit more. Uh, I don't know, a bit more fun for us, I guess. That's so it's awesome. like. Us like chatting and presenting our, you know, our, our silly game, and so that stuff will and make unique every time, and that's usually what takes the longest, um, because I don't really know what I'm doing, and so I'm just kind of like making it up as I go, and I'll I'll start, I'll think like, oh, I've got a joke about this, and I'll start animating it, and realize uh, it doesn't really work, or it just takes too many shots, and it just takes like too much setup, and it's not going to make sense, you know, GIF needs to make sense, just like in five seconds, um, and so, yeah, that I'll start a joke and then realize it's not going anywhere and then go, well, I've animated a guy like going like this and another guy going like that, you know, is there a different joke <laughs> that I can make that still <laughs> doesn't waste those animations that I've just done? Um, but, yeah, but that's really fun. I really like putting that stuff out. So that stuff makes for really nice marketing materials. It's just kind of what you yeah. guys have been using yeah. it for. Um, oh, actually, prop, that, that probably would be the first thing that people would have heard of before the trailer would have been our, um, oh no, that was after the trailer, the launch delay GIF tax yeah, mail thingy? Was, was yeah, 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 that was after, yeah. Um, yeah, but I think there was a couple of articles on, on that very first trailer. That first trailer blew up, yeah, in fairness. So you, you got a really great... No, no, no before, this is before the, oh, the earlier one. Yeah, okay, the cool. one yeah, yeah. people heard of. It was so yeah. bad. <laughs> I think it's really important to share, actually share your game at a state where you're still very embarrassed about it. I think yeah, that's, yeah. that's been a really hard thing to get my head around, but yeah, it, it definitely is. Still people that I talk to today are like, they're, you know, some little kid working on a thing that, that just nobody in the world cares about, and they're saying to me, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to blow it, I don't want to, people to steal my ideas, or I don't want to, you know, like, waste, I'm um, like, just trying to tell them, you've got to convince these people to be interested in your game, no, you know, that's like the biggest challenge, like, you know, just being lost in this sea of millions of people, and, and people having so many options, and people having so many games coming out, like, that's, that's, that's the only enemy, is nobody knowing that you exist, even though you're making something cool, so, yeah. 100% agree with you there. I used to feel like that. Sorry? 100%, just 100% agree. Mm. That convincing people you exist, that's the hardest, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then kind of coming to 2014, you guys uh, put it up on Greenlight and got Greenlit in that same day, which is pretty yeah. amazing. And that trailer you released then was super. So this is a trailer with loads of the game animation and an amazing voiceover. And that blew up. Yeah, yeah oh, that I was mean, a big surprise. Was that like what did you guys do to seed that? Who did you send it to? Just so uh, we can so all it. <laughs> well, we, we sent just it made to ourselves. Yeah, we did a, a bit of a, a mail out kind of thing, but pretty bad. Like I didn't, we didn't have any emails. I just kind of it looked at a few websites, and yeah, right. on, and I put it on Twitter, and it was really yeah, people just shared it themselves. <laughs> so. <laughs> we had a press list of, of people that we were going to send it to, um, but because we're in Australia, we when it gets to the evening, that's the middle of the night in the US, 
and so we we thought, oh, we'll 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 get up early in the morning and we'll send it then because that'll be like lunchtime in the U.S. And so we we just posted the gif on Twitter, um, sorry, posted the, the link to the trailer on Twitter, went to bed, and then we when we woke up in the morning. Um, all of the websites we were going to mail to had already done an article wow. about it. And it's like, oh, I guess we, we don't need to do that press list. And that made us think that marketing was easy, which is... <laughs> That's really cool, yeah. So I saw you guys do that, and two months later I started my own green light campaign and tried to do what you did. Not quite as well, but yeah. <laughs> like we saved our trailer till like that was the thing we were getting pressed to talk about, and green light campaign was yeah. like a side effect. I mean, I don't think that, like, yeah, the, you know, visual, just visual animated things are, you know, the the most valuable currency in in getting people to share and notice, you know, any of this stuff. And so it's very unlucky for anyone uh, who whose game concepts aren't easily communicated in in just a really short animation, or, or a, you know, or a video or something, um, and we were just very lucky that, that our stuff is very animation-based and is very easy to share like that. Um, what what yeah, do you think, I think about the kind of your game's hook? Do you think that made a difference that it's uh, your friends control the monsters essentially? I, I think that yeah, that did make a difference, but but I think less than. It makes less of a difference than than I think it should, you know. Like like I think that's definitely important and has been very valuable. Like having this a succinct kind of concept that is an original thing that for people to get excited about. But probably that you know if it didn't have that, like just just a flashy trailer kind of has such an impact that that you know unfortunately I think. There, there are lots of things that, that have just as interesting a, of a hook, but, but just don't have elements that make a good trailer okay. and, and yeah. just don't go anywhere. was successful because of the, it had its own hooks as well. It was a bit, it was a bit novel, which is the, the main thing. We thought it was going to be not that good because it wasn't a normal trailer. It was, it was long, too long and all this stuff. We were kind of, yeah. we didn't think it would go that well. Um, but then I think that's what, from from what people were saying, that's like a big part of why people liked it. That it was showing, it was kind of showing, it was showing things in a novel way. It was just gameplay footage. Yeah. And it yeah. was, um, uh, and yeah, the the art like was quite the the sort of fidelity of the animation and the art was really good, and they had this narrator and all that stuff. So it was kind of doing things in a different way, maybe. Um, so I have to tell them. <laughs> yeah. So we stress about it so much, and we. <laughs> Well, that's good. <laughs> How long did you spend on that trailer, say, before you released it? Probably about a month. Both of you full-time? So Barney. No, just Barney mainly. Okay. That's a significant so. investment. Yeah. But paid yeah, off. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it was probably, a, it was the sort of thing where, it wasn't meant to take that long, and we were both really stressed about how long it was yeah. taking. But you kind of you've invested in it, and then you kind of like, well, yeah, sort of. It takes as long as it takes. Um, and then as I, it was I think yeah. together, you could see that it was going to be good and worth spending more time. Yeah. On. <laughs> well, I was pretty. We were pretty excited about it, 
but then you, when you're working on it every day for weeks and weeks or whatever, um, or you're just seeing kind of cuts every day or whatever, you get pretty sick of it. So you're like, uh, I don't know, I just see all these problems with it. I don't see the things that I thought were really hilarious at, at first or whatever. <laughs> once once we put in the proper voiceover, I was a lot more convinced. For most of the time I was working on it, yeah, it had a voiceover that was recorded with, with mine and Dave's voices just as placeholder so that we kind of knew what to time it to. Um, and, and so that we could iterate and change our, our mind without having to, you know, re-record a proper session. Like, so I'd just say some crap into the microphone and, you know, change my mind or think, oh, this needs to be quicker, say something quicker. And so most of the time it was like our, you know, and we had not voice actors at all. It was our terrible voices. And we were like, you know, this isn't going anywhere. <laughs> this is going to be crap. <laughs> it wasn't until we, we did a proper recording session and and spent ages like mixing in mixing in the proper voice that I started to think like oh this is almost like a proper trailer. <laughs> by, by proper recording session, we just went round to our friend's house and got into all the voices and drank beer. Yeah, it wasn't uh, like <laughs> actual recording Logan studio or an actual voice actor. <laughs> um, so your your general marketing advice there is make a really good trailer, post it once on Twitter, and then go to bed. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> go to bed. <laughs> Do something you think is probably not that good, and then post yeah. it, and then success. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like every like even though you know we were really worried about it, every step of the way we were really attempting to follow rules of keeping it succinct, um, you know, keeping it short and sweet, like trying to make sure that every important idea is communicated in the first like 20 seconds uh, you know so that everyone has such short attention spans on the internet and so mm. if they're not sold on continuing to watch the trailer in the first 20 seconds it doesn't matter how good the rest of the trailer is so the first 20 seconds has to say like this is worth watching this is these are all the exciting things that you might see if you can be bothered sitting down down for the other like 80 seconds of this trailer um, and that's really important. And, I thought the first 20 um, seconds were when you slowly fade in your logo. Yeah, <laughs> and I see that so much and especially on um, on early access games and you know when when you're in that Steam queue and things are like showing you or when, when you're in the early access thing and things are showing you Pretty those games, yeah. like my finger I was just is ready like to go, trying no, no, no. to click the next button <laughs> so hard and you kind of like You've got to physically stop yourself from clicking next, and it's yeah, it's got to it's got to okay. be something really quickly, I think. Um, but yeah, actually, so I, many games still do that. They just like you know fading in. Oh. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an easy temptation to fall to, and it's particularly bad when you're a new studio and no one cares about your logo or who you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just want to ask you a little bit about early access, and then I'll, I'll go back and get some questions here. Um, so you got greenlit early 2014. And uh, were you always planning to go to early access? Uh, yeah, like, maybe. Started so we kind of, uh, no, it had been around for a little while, but it was relatively new. We'd um, because we did the we got this film film vit grant thing, and that was that made us work out ah, oh, what are we actually going to do? And do they need a, a like plan a, for things? A budget and a yeah, they need a like budget and and schedule and um like SWOT analysis and blah, 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 you know, yeah. uh, lots of stuff. Um, 
and so we're like, okay, and like you know, revenue estimates or whatever, I don't business planning kind of stuff. Yep. So uh, that well, that was probably one of the good things about doing going for that at least was just um, we had to do all this business stuff that was kind of scary stuff that we were just putting off, um, and it meant that we had a bit more of an idea about like what we how we wanted to try and get it out there. I mean, at that time we were we were thinking, oh, this is a sort of weird little game. We'll just probably put it on our website. It won't be an actual, like, like getting a game on Steam, that would be crazy, you know? Yeah. That would be, like, that's for real game developers. <laughs> um, yeah, we really kind of didn't feel like, yeah, that was, we thought, you know, that would be a big game-changing thing. And it's, I mean, it is compared to not being on Steam, but it's, like, especially now, it's not like... Um, but yeah, just it, getting a game on Steam means you're going to be successful in any way. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> I was asking about early access. Why? Oh, uh, yeah. Mean, why um, did you choose early access over just waiting for a full release? Yeah, yeah. Uh, partly because yeah, think... we wanted to, we wanted to sort of see, get gauge how how big the game or how successful the game would be, uh, with the, you know hoping that we'd be able to keep keep working on it a lot longer. Um, but we sort of wanted, and we sort of had this idea of like, okay, well, we, we sort of, we've got this amount of content that we'd be happy putting out the game and we think that we'll like, like the game with this amount of content. So we'll we'll do that as early access and then we'll keep working on, on it. Um, and we've sort of planned with the Filmic stuff to work on it for another sort of six months or something. Um, and that kind of meant that we could, uh, play it by ear a bit more and like work out, okay, what are the fun things we want to spend more time on and that kind of thing. Um, I think the main thing was we weren't very confident in how it would be received. Um, like what anyone so might. Early access, early access allowed us to feel our way and put something out there and see if people actually liked it before we then decided, oh, well, it's worth investing four years of our time only to find out nobody really liked the idea in the first place. Okay, so cool. we could we could put it out there and just see if people liked it and go, okay, well, if they only like it a tiny bit, then, you know, we, we've got this minimum kind of version that we can just clean it up, finish that off and, and put it out. But, but then they liked it a lot more than we expected. So we thought, oh, good, you know, because we'd kind of like to do this and we'd kind of like to do that. And, uh, but but I think that's not relevant for many games. I think so it's kind of a way of testing the waters to to decide on the scope of the finished game you wanted to build. Yeah, and letting the scope grow organically. But um, that, that's we, sort of, we had an idea of a game we'd be happy with, but then a game we'd be more happy with, as you know, yeah. if we can justify doing that. Um, whereas yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't have wanted to go on early access with a game we weren't happy with and just assume that early access means we'll be able to someday get it to the point where we'd be happy with it. Um, yeah. Really, we're we never happy with it. <laughs> like the, the very first version that went on early access was something that, when was that we would be proud to just call the final version if we had to, you okay, know? Yeah. And, and that, that was kind of our rule that, you know, at any point we would kind of feel, feel okay to just say, all right, it's over, and there was nothing missing from the game ever that was completely essential. So people were never paying for a half a half baked idea. They were always paying for a complete game, but you know, a complete game that maybe didn't have all the content that we would like to put into it. 
So when you when you made that decision to go for early access, was there any other games made by small teams doing it? Yeah, early access had been around for for a while. But so were there anyone like yourselves who were making a a game that you were um, looking at, going, "Oh, let's do what they're doing," or were you guys? Kind yeah, of I mean, I think I think Broforce I think was already on early access and um uh yeah Nuclear Throne. Those are two I looked at a lot. Okay. Um, in terms of, there's lots. Yeah, and I think there's quite a lot. How long have you? We were that early onto it. Wait, when did you start selling on early access on Steam? Uh, it was like August 2014, I think. Okay, so it's about a year and a half now. Yeah. And yeah. do you, you know, you're just constantly updating the game. Yeah, Generally. trying to be constant. <laughs> We're constantly working on it. The updates sort of take as long as they take, usually. Um, yeah, the updates are between like one and a half and, and sort of three or so months, I think. Okay, Whereas cool. initially we had thought just every month we do another update. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, Nuclear Throne, we're doing it every week. Yeah, yeah no, no, I can't no, imagine. No, do that. I don't know how to do it either. <laughs> no. there's, there's so much peripheral stuff. Every time you update, there's packaging. Packaging it up, testing, sending it off, um, and then watching the forums and making sure you haven't broken anything. And, and that, even just telling like, people what you've changed. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah. just contacting yeah, everyone, putting out some marketing thing. stuff. And, yeah. and, and that, take, that, that ends up taking at least half a week, usually up to a week, where you're not actually making content anymore, where you're just supporting putting the update out. Yeah, and so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they do it every week. They obviously have... Their, their pipeline, yeah, they're insane. <laughs> and at the same time, like the likes if of break if they break something horribly, it's only going to be broken for a week, so it doesn't matter so much or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's the whole agile feel of just keep releasing, and yeah, stuff is broken for less long. Um, Valve Valve came out and said do do bigger updates, and make a big deal yeah. out of them. So they were doing oh, like yeah, whole yeah. movies around their TF2 updates. They were yeah. They say that works better because it gets people excited it makes about sense. it. Like, gets people yeah, excited. It's, press, it's an event for the press when you add a bunch of a, a bigger update, and it's an event for people because people like to be like, like to feel like, oh, cool. There's I've just seen there's a new new thing in crawl. Like let's get people around to play it again. Um, whereas if that's every week, you get a bit maybe tired not. Of it pretty yep. um, yeah, I think our approach was to make them the smallest they could possibly be while still being a noteworthy event. So, you know, if it was so small that there's no exciting new feature to talk about, then that's not really worth its own update. It, you know, so we, we we tried to make sure that each update was, yeah, noteworthy, something to talk about okay. and say, oh, this yeah. is exciting that this is happening. You know, something that if we hassled the press about it, that they'd have something to say instead of just like, well, Updates continue on this thing, you know? Picks. Yeah, okay. Um, and what, what about dealing with your your fan base? So once you hit early access, people are going to start loving or hating certain things. And I've certainly found as soon as you change anything, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> How have you guys dealt with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, generally, the Steam forum's been, been okay. Like, it gets, it gets stressful, especially if we've, haven't released an update for a while, it gets quite stressful, like looking on there and you're just really scared that people are going to be angry at you. Um, 
just part, I mean, that's probably partly just working at home and getting a bit kind of inside your own head. Um, but in general, the the fan stuff's been been positive. It's just kind of a bit scary. Um, I think I think they had big negative things. So sorry. No, that's right. Yeah. I think the Steam forums have been incredibly positive and, and, and so much more positive than I than I really expected, but um, it's harder to handle other people paying attention to my game and having opinions about it than I ever would have expected as well. Okay. Like it's mm. you know, it, it's just really hard not to be not to be upset when someone when someone, you know, doesn't like something new that I put in, you know, and it's really hard not to you know, not to just feel crap when uh, you know when, when people think something's unbalanced, or you know, it, it's really hard to just be really kind of objective about it. I guess. Um, and and, and usually the loudest people aren't always. You know, you you can't simply listen to people. You have to kind of yeah yeah, yeah. trust your gut. And, and I mean that that's just the internet. Like, there's no there's no mild opinions on the internet because no one would hear them because they're they're lost under the you know under the really strong opinions and so even if you do have a mild opinion you tend to phrase it as a really strong opinion so you know you definitely can't take it on face value um, but just you know if you're having a hard day and then you go on the forums to like answer a few things and you just see a bunch of negative comments or complaints about things you know yeah it's it's hard and so um, have, have I you ever have to uh, wait till I'm in like the right the right positive headspace to be like, yeah, I'm in the mood for this, and then go on. And then when I am in that headspace, then it, then it's easy, and uh, okay. I see you know I see negative people, and I say, oh, sorry, and I try and get to the bottom of why is this guy unhappy? Because people really want to suggest solutions, and and, and like 99% of the time, someone telling you what the solution is. It is just not applicable to the game or to the way you're building it or whatever. But but if you look at the solution that they're suggesting and sort of try and you know like reverse engineer what the reason was that that they suggested that because they're unhappy with this or unhappy with that, often you can come up with something a useful piece of information out of out of even an incredibly negative thing or 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 a fairly crazy sounding suggestion. So. Yeah, one thing I, that's felt, one thing that's been really positive, I guess, or feels positive, is when you've got someone who's really like angry or seems really upset about like balance or anything uh, in the game, and then you kind of give them just a reply like, "Oh yeah, we're trying our best" or something, and um, we're not sure if we'll be able to do that, uh, but with you know we'd like to do everything, but it's hard or whatever, and then they just reply saying, "Oh, that's cool. I just I just love the game so much. You guys are so amazing," and it just makes yeah, you feel like just oh, to wow, he's not actually a complete jerk. He's actually like. He's actually someone who likes the game. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the people really get angry, <laughs> in fairness to them, usually are really passionate about your game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so you, it's really hard to, to remember that all the time. Sure. But, That's always yeah. been a thing to try, and, to try and remember is, you know, there have been people angry about not having online multiplayer, and really whenever the people are seriously angry, it's because they like the game so much that they care, and that that's... I think just goes back to that same thing of your biggest enemy is just people not knowing that you exist, and it's like those people being really angry at you. That's that's not a Pretty sign that you've got problems. Yeah, that's a sign that people care enough. So that yeah, that that's not bad. Yeah, that's worth remembering because uh, some <laughs> some days 
I feel positive and I go read um, Steam reviews. Yeah. And they, they just get me down. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you're right. You're right. Like the fact I, that anyone's buying your game to leave a Steam user review is amazing. Yeah. And, and even, yeah, like a lot of the time I think if people just have nothing to say about it, like that's, you know, that that's where like it's it's just not, it's not touching them at all. You know, yeah. that I think that's, that's the most, I think that's the most worrying thing. Better so, to be yeah, talked about feel strongly. Very cool. Um, you guys, would you, if you made a new game, would you would you do early access again? Depends on the game. I think it make made sense for Crawl. Definitely wouldn't make sense for a lot of games. Like, yeah, an, like anything story, that's yeah. linear, anything that has a, yeah. nat, like a yeah. single narrative. I think um, so many games that go on there are just not appropriate for early access, but but Crawl was uniquely appropriate for it. I think basically anything that that plays like a sport rather than okay. rather than a story. Yeah. Know? So so but because a sport, you need heaps of people to play it and have them find what what's wrong about the rules, and then you need to adjust the rules, and you know they're finding um, the bad dominant strategies and imbalances. And there's just no way we could do that amount of testing, uh, and and to you know so to put an update out and to have instantly thousands of people play it, and and you'll get 15 messages back saying, hey this happened and it broke my game, like we can you know we can run a lot of tests and have our friends around and and play all night and still we've only you know we've only played like 60 games. Or, or something, you know. But the, the thousands of games that are getting played by those people—that's really important for things that are intended to be played over and over again, kind of like a sport. Um, but but it would just kill anything that you don't—that's not intended to play like that. That's a good mm. way of thinking about it, because it, it can be hard to evaluate your game in those terms. Like what what would make this good for early access? Um, okay, yeah, I'm just yeah, gonna that's... just gonna grab a couple questions here, which I've been ignoring. Um, so. Andrew Hines was asking, do you guys feel like all the experience in big industry helps now with your indie work? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it all helps. Like, uh, what probably helps like the most? Uh, what helps the most? I mean, the, the thing I found was working in a new company, like when you first get there, you just learn so much so fast. You feel like out of your depth at first and uh, everything works differently and you're getting, you're experiencing how completely all these people do something completely differently and you learn a lot. Um, after a few years at one place, you kind of, you know, start to get, you, you start to kind of get in a rut or something. You start to feel like, oh, yeah, um, I'm not really learning as much anymore. Um, and, you know, you might have some position changes where you might be leading a team and you learn, learn a lot more there or you might get to work on a different style of project. But if the projects are kind of longer, that doesn't happen that often. So, uh the the things I learnt were just keep keep the, the scope down. Like I think one of the, the reasons we're two people is because we've both worked at big companies. <laughs> like we we know that a big team costs a lot of money. A big team is slow and unwieldy, and you waste a lot of time, and you don't get to. It's not as fun. You don't get to have as much sort of input. Um, and yeah, if you've got a, a big team working on a project. That project's more, you know, more likely to have to get canned because <laughs> because it costs a lot more. Um, yeah, I think 
scoping and managing teams is one of those things that we <coughs> we learned so much from working at a big company, and that's that's the sort of stuff that when I talk to new developers, and they've never made a game and they're really excited to start something, and they're talking about things of a certain scale, um, I I just I feel really worried for them because it's yeah. it's really easy yeah. to underestimate how much time and effort goes into just organizing like eight Five people. people yeah. Five people to work together and not waste not waste time and to not uh, you know like yeah, keeping like, everyone up to date with everything. Yeah, yeah, like just putting five people in a room, you don't get five times as much work as, as one person in a room. You know, if they're all trying to work on a thing that's supposed to be synchronized like that, you need amazing management of those five people or amazing communication, and then you still only get three times as much work maybe out of you know the, those five people just because of the extra communication time and the 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 uh, meeting time and you know the like missed, misunderstood stuff, yeah. concepts and you know and and then the more you have uh, roles split into specialized individual people the more there's going to be time where we just don't need modeling today, or we just don't need texturing today, or we just don't need, you know, uh, marketing today. And so you end up with people just twiddling their thumbs quite a bit. And and if they're all on the clock and and burning a salary, then that's really hard. So the more you can have multiple, you know, tasks just being done within one person, just the more you cut down on that on that waste of time. You cut down on meeting time between those disciplines yeah, yeah. because you just have the meeting spontaneously yeah. in your own head, um, <laughs> you know, like like the, I mean, say, say when I'd be implementing something um, at, at a company that has animation and design uh, and modeling all in, in separate kind of sectors, and then you realize that this thing that's being implemented, it doesn't work the way that the designer wanted it to work, and in order to try and make it work like that, you have to change the animation and or the model, or you can keep the model and animation it's got, but you'd have to change the design, and that probably wouldn't work with the code. The amount of meetings that you're suddenly having, <laughs> and like the amount of people that you have to talk to, just to go like, this thing just to needs to be it. a tiny bit different, yeah. and you have to refer to the designer, make sure he's happy with the changes to the model and all these things, whereas if I'm just doing the art and the animation and the design <laughs> myself, just spontaneously I can just go, yeah, I'll just change that, and then straight into Photoshop, change it, and it's done. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and so, unless you're really happy to spend a lot of your time organizing communication and managing other people, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get the reward out of out of making a bigger thing that you think because you're not hand making it. You're managing other people to make it, um, and I think the skill and the interest of managing other people to make work is an extremely different skill set to, you know, Creating. just making art or make, or doing yeah. programming. And, and the people, you know, they're, they're not very overlapping, you know, kind of personality kind of types in a lot of cases that would be, you know, a, a, a great programmer that's not, that's, you know, yeah, exactly. That's very often not the same guy who's great at organizing a lot of other sure. programmers. So, yeah, it's it's easy to forget all that connecting tissue and communication. I think. 
So long term, do you think you guys will try and stay really lean, like stay two people? Yeah, definitely. Five years time. I think lean's good. I I still would like to. I don't know, it's kind of an exciting idea to grow and get a studio and get people, but I think if we do that, I'd want to be having us, like, you know, having two people teams yeah, still, yeah, yeah. and, you and know, I think that's just very viable more stuff, because that. that'd be fun, like, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, um, tell you what, I think I've kept you a bit over an hour now, um, we might wrap up here. Um, this is very interesting, um, so thank you so much for giving up your time late in the evening in Australia to chat to all of us. <laughs> no uh, worries. Hugely interesting. Uh, I look forward to your eventual crawl release. Um, <laughs> with Yeah, I'm just really looking forward to it. Um, awesome. So uh, big thanks from everyone here, I think. I'm sure I'll say it in the chat. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, so yeah, thanks, thanks so much for joining us. So that was Dave and Barney from Powerhoof. And thanks so much. I'll catch up with you guys again. No worries. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you. Take care, guys. Yeah.